Would you take your Bibles, please, and turn to Psalm 130? And just in case there, I might be missing someone, we are going through the Psalms during the, the, month, <clears throat> the summer months, and we are at Psalm 130, and they're called the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, it seems that these Psalms were put together when Israel was on its way back to Jerusalem, being directed in providential ways for God's concern, uh, God's care. And it's interesting because last week we looked at the difficulties on the journey. That we face persecution and assault externally. But Psalm 130 is a psalm in which we will be looking at facing these things internally. The psalmist begins with a cry to God because he's, he's feeling, in a sense, the absence of God. It's a journey in which they're conscious that God is the one leading them, but now they feel that somewhat there's a distance. <laughs> Martin Luther, the reformer, said this, and I'm quoting him. The only thing worse than hell is the silence of God. Think of that. Luther, the reformer, was saying that there were times when I don't feel that God is near. And I, I, I want to cry out to God. That's, that is what Psalm 130 is dealing with. And this morning, I have titled this message, Reality. <laughs> do, do you remember the song? I used to sing it when I first became a Christian. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus, I love him more and more. And, and my friends, if you were to be honest, and I were to be honest, we would say, we love Jesus, but every day is not sweeter than the day before. There are times when we wonder. I listened to, to two different speakers, and, and I don't copy them, by the way. I just want to see how they handle this. And, and, and they were not speaking with this. But last night, as I was walking, doing my walking, one, one, one fellow was preaching from another passage, John 15, and he titled it, God, sometimes I feel you're killing me. <laughs> because it says, whom the Lord loves, he prunes. That God does things to us that sometimes we feel we wouldn't do to anybody else. What do we do in those moments? What do we do when our souls face what is called sometimes the dark night of the soul? The dark night of the soul. When we wrestle within ourselves, not with the existence of God, what we wrestle with is God himself. And I want us to look at this reality this morning. I talked about 
one of the old songs. Do you know this one? Does Jesus care when my heart is pained? Too deeply for mirth or song? As the burdens press and the cares distress, and the way grows weary and long? Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? As the daylight fades into deep night shades, does he care enough to be near? The reality. I was, I was promised when I became a Christian that you are going to have life like you've never had it before. But they did not include the dark night of the soul. And it's true. I have life like I've never had it before. But listen, listen. What this psalm is going to teach us, that apart from God, the question of pain not only remains unanswered, it even defies justification. Apart from God, the question of pain not only remains unanswered, it even defies being talked about if there is no answer. So let's, let's begin Psalm 1. We're going to take just the two verses this morning. And you know, a few weeks ago, I did a study for the um, Wednesday night meeting on, on the life of Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite men. And uh, he was preaching through the book of Romans. And, and he got to, verse, to chapter 14 and verse 17. <laughs> and it took him 14 years. And I'm, I'm beginning to wonder, when are we going to get through the Psalms? We started last year, and here we are. But my friends, what I am thinking is that there are certain things we miss that are so vital to the answers for what we, the questions we have that if we don't deal with them, we continue to live with those questions and sometimes those questions become distresses for us. So let's begin by looking at the experience of the soul. The experience of the soul. Listen to how the psalmist begins. Out of my distress, literally from out, he is in a position that he's looking up to see the bottom. And, and, and he cries out to God, I am in distress of my soul. And you know, this sounds almost like Jonah chapter 2. Listen to Jonah in the bottom of the, the, the sea in the belly of the fish. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows pass over me. The, the psalmist is saying, I am, I am in a position right now, I'm in the part of my journey with God, where somehow when I should have been scaling the heights, I am at the bottom. I feel that somehow 
God is absent. He describes his experience as he's passing through the days that are affecting his very thoughts of God. Faith should have been a protection from difficulties, and it is not. The difficulties is the result of a lack of faith, as some would say, and it doesn't have to be. I find it hard to deal with people who say, the reason you're going through this is because you don't have faith. My friends, that's not biblical. The people who have been through the most difficult times are people whose faith is alive, whose faith is living. But somehow at this point, faith is going through the other side of it. Psalm 42 why are you cast down, O oh my soul? You see, the soul is that part of me where I feel, where I think, where I make decisions, where I have assurance. And at this point, David said, Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. He's speaking to himself because right now nothing makes sense to him. Oh, my God, he said, my soul is cast down within me. My soul is cast down within me. That's the experience of the soul. And I don't know, my friends, if, if you felt like, have felt like Job at certain points. Listen to Job. Behold, I go, go forward, but he is not there. And I go backwards, but I cannot perceive him. The soul is lonely. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Yet we do not want you to ignore, brothers, of the affliction we have experienced in Asia. For we were utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired even of life itself. This is the Apostle Paul. Here's the, here's the man who has written two-thirds of the New Testament. And he's saying they despaired even for life. Then he goes on. Indeed, we felt that we received the sentence of death. But that was what made us rely on God and not on ourselves. He delivered us from such deadly perils. And he will deliver us. That's the experience of the soul. And I'm not saying that each of us will go through the same kind of experience. But I am saying, my friends, that if your faith is real... It will have a dark side to it. If your faith is real, you will come up against some of the things that will make you wonder, just as the psalmist in Psalm 73, I wonder if I have washed my hands in vain. May I just suggest to you that most of the people that are, whose lives I have studied and whose lives I seek to emulate with their faith and their faithfulness, their strong commitment to Jesus Christ, with the exception of none, each has experienced the dark night of the soul. Every one of them. I will share with you a few in a few moments. I, I want us to, to see that in the Bible, my friends, the Bible does not 
cover the idea that the soul will pass through its night. But there are experiences, like I said, outside the Bible. I want us to look at just two for a moment. Charles Spurgeon, the great British preacher that died in 1899. <laughs> Spurgeon, Spurgeon was, was quite a character. And, and, and if you listen and read his life, you will find out that you would think that, that he was never a man who experienced any pain. I don't know why I want to tell you this, but Spurgeon used to smoke a big, big cigar. How anyone can smoke that stuff, I don't know. And, and one day someone went to Mr. Spurgeon and said, Pastor Spurgeon, how can you smoke a cigar when you're a Christian? I didn't know, we didn't know why he was doing it. We're beginning to find some of those things today. He said, Mr. Spurgeon said, well, the way I can justify it is that I don't smoke to excess. <laughs> and so, Mr. Spurgeon, the person said, what would you consider to be excess, Mr. Spurgeon? He said, when I smoke two at a time. <laughs> Spurgeon suffered from depression. Almost all his life, one of the things he suffered with was gout. Listen, listen to him one night. The distress that most severely affected Spurgeon was gout, a condition that sometimes produces exquisite pain. What can clearly be identified as gout and, as, and that sees Spurgeon in 1869, when he was 35 years old, the remainder of his life, he would be laid aside for weeks, even months, nearly every year with various illness. Space does not permit even an abridged chronicling of what he went through with physical suffering. It is a great mercy to be able to change sides. It's a great mercy, he said, to be able to be laying in bed and be able to change sides could not even turn at times. A few months later after an experience, he described in a sermon one experience during the period of affliction. When I was racked with some months ago with pain to an extreme degree so that I could no longer bear it without crying out, I asked all to leave the room and leave me alone. Then I had nothing I could say to God, but this. He's speaking to God now. <clears throat> thou art my father, and I am thy child. And thou, as a father, art tender and full of mercy. I could not bear to see my child suffer as thou makest me to suffer. See, that's when we begin with ourselves to God instead of from God to us. That's the problem here. He went on. Will you hide your face from me, my father? Will you still lay arms under 
to sustain me? Wilt thou hide thy face from me and not give me a smile from thy countenance? So I pleaded and I ventured to say when I was quiet and they came back and watch over me. I shall never have such pain again from this moment for God has heard my prayer. I bless God that ease came and the racking pain never returned. He regularly referred to this incident, although it is impossible to determine whether his doubt was never an excru as, as, was ever excruciating as it was during that episode. People outside the Bible. When Spurgeon preached on Sunday, his messages were recorded on Monday in the London Times. He was the first to have a, 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 a mass congregation. Thousands of people would gather in Metropolitan in London. And by the way, when Lois and I were in London some years ago, his name was not even mentioned by the, the, the fellow who was taking us around. It's just a tragedy. Outside the Bible, I can tell you many more. I'll show you, share one more. And he's one of my favorites because... His songs mean a whole lot to me. William Cooper, the songwriter. We sing his songs still today. And I'm, I won't read everything to say this. Cooper, and his name is spelled not C-O-O, it's spelled C-O-W-P-E-R, but it's pronounced Cooper. William Cooper suffered from depression. He was so depressed that three times he tried to commit suicide. And God rescued him all three times. Just before he went into a deep, deep depression, he wrote the song, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him from, for his grace. Behind, behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. In the Bible, out of the Bible, the dark night of the soul. And my friends, I, I, I wish, see, I'll tell you why I'm glad this is in the Bible. Because if it wasn't in the Bible, I wouldn't know how to tell you when you pass through it. I would not be able to tell you. It's biblical. It's part of, it's part of the Christian experience. And, and that, that it seems to me that God, God becomes absolutely important to us at a time like that. You see, when everything is going, as we used to say in school, hunky-dory, I don't know what it means, but it means good. When everything is going, well, you know, we, there used to be a song, Jesus is like a bridge over troubled water, I would never sing it. Do you remember the name of the last bridge you crossed over? I've, I've passed over some great bridge, I remember them because they're in the news all the time, I've passed over London Bridge. I passed over the, over the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge, the Bay Bridge. I've passed over them all. But I've passed over more than three bridges. And what I'm saying, friends, if God is like a refrigerator that we open only when we need a drink, then when the dark night of the soul comes, 
we will not be able to deal with it. And that's why I'm glad the Bible doesn't hide those things from us. That's why I'm glad that when we open the Bible, we can hear that the journey, the journey will include pressures from without and pressures from within. But what do we do? Here, 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 here's what I call the expression, not only experience, but the expression of the soul. I cried unto the Lord. Now, this word is not for tears. This word cry is not talking about a man whose tears running down his face. That happens, but that's not what it is here. You know what it is? I am, I am expressing myself to God with a sense of intensity. I, I am saying to him, oh God, my soul is in an abyss. And, and here's what I love about this. That God is not intimidated when we raise our voices to him. God is not afraid to hear you talk with him. Listen to Job. Oh, how I wish I could find him. I would, I would set my case before him. <laughs> I cried. I articulated. I, 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 I told God. I told God exactly how I was feeling. Now notice there's no irreverence here. Because my friends, I'm going to tell you the difference between a Christian who goes through the dark night of the soul and someone else who does not know the Lord. The Christian has someone they can call on to at a time like that. The man or the woman who doesn't believe in God, to whom does he cry? To whom does she cry? G.K. Chesterton likes to put it this way. It is, it, is, it is natural for us when we go through these dark times to turn away from God, but in heaven's name to what? End of quote. Listen to Psalm 69, verses 1 to 3. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up on my, to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold I have come into deep waters and the floods sweep over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim while I wait for my God. The difference between me, you, and the world that doesn't believe in God we have something beyond seeing and tasting and touching. They have nothing. That's why they end their lives. And the idea of crying out, my friends, is that they are crying to someone. One, one of the famous atheists, when he was dying, he clenched his fist to heaven. That was the last thing he did before he expired. We don't clench our fist. We fold our hands and we speak to someone. Our faith, the Christian faith, has an object. The Christian faith is not belief in believing. The Christian faith is not 
being so stupid that you believe a lie. No, friends. We have evidence. We have evidence for our faith. God spoke, and so we believe. So when we say we have faith, we're not saying we have faith in nothing. We have faith in someone who has given us his word so that we might believe. You remember Peter in the boat? <laughs> when the storm was raging and Jesus came walking on the water and he said to the disciples, don't be afraid, it is I. <laughs> and Peter said, Lord, if it is you, bid me come. And Jesus said, come. And what did he do? He walked on water. Now, my friends, I'm not saying that, that, that you and I are going to walk on water, but I'm going to tell you what it does say. Is that when we know the presence of God in the night of the soul, the dark night of the soul, we will be able to stand because we have someone who is beyond where we are. I'll show it to you in a moment. And, and so the psalmist now is going to give us his answer to the dark night of the soul. How did he deal with it? I call this the enlarging of the soul. The experience shot us up to the unbelievable, the unexpressed, the impossible. But now he's going to enlarge his soul. Look, at, look again at verse 1 of our psalm. Out of my depth, depths, I cried to you, O Lord. Don't miss that. Out of the depth, I cried. See, he was not, the, the existence of God was not his problem. It was his experience with God that was the problem. Not the existence. But he was crying to God because God was the anchor for his soul. Let's explore that. God was the anchor for his soul. The word Lord, if you look at the spelling, it's all in uppercase. All in uppercase. And there's significance to that. Because you see, where the soul is here that he's talking about, the uppercase Lord, the transliterated word from the Hebrew is where we get our word Jehovah, from which we get the word Yahweh. Yahweh speaks of God as the ultimate reality. Yahweh speaks of God as the self-existing reality. Yahweh speaks of God as dependent upon nothing for its existence. See, the psalmist was in a hole and he was depending upon God. And if God never is, then he has nothing on which to hang his soul. So if, if, if he's crying out to God, he's crying out to ultimate reality. It's interesting when you read through the history of Israel, the Lord will tell the people something and then he will say this, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. I, what he's reminding them is that you are not me. 
And I can do for you what you can never, never do for yourself because I am, I am who I am. You are limited. As I was studying this text, this came to me. You might, those of you who are taking notes, Deuteronomy 33, 27. Deuteronomy 33, listen to this. The eternal God, the eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. And I, and I look into that and I thought, Father, listen, the David, the, the, the psalmist was way down, way down. But because God is eternal, God was below where he was, so God was his footstool, his foot um, um, stability. If underneath are the everlasting arms, it means that God is keeping me from going any deeper. It means that, that God is sustaining me even when I don't feel that he is because underneath are the everlasting arms. So no matter where you might be this morning, no matter where I might be in the days to come, listen, do you know when, when, when God was speaking to Satan in Job chapter 1, listen to what he said, you may take what he has, but don't touch him. Psalm 121 says, the Lord is the one who keeps your soul. So friends, things might happen. But for the child of God, whose hope is in God, he or she has someone to whom they can cry. And God said, listen, I am below you. You can't go any farther than you are right now because I am making sure that the next step will never take place. You will never self-destruct. I will keep your soul so that your soul will reach its final destiny. That, my friends, is the security of the believer. That he or she can be absolutely confident of this. That even though the soul might feel the night of its journey, it is never traveling without the observation and the presence of God. The Lord shall protect you from all evil. Anything that will affect your soul, the soul belongs to God alone. And the devil might do terrible things to our bodies, but not with the soul. The soul belongs to God. The Lord will protect you. The Lord will keep your soul. And that's why, that's why we needed to have one who is eternal. It was interesting, as Lois and I were coming this morning, we were listening to a service from Chicago, and I had to laugh because the, 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 the speaker was saying some of the things I have in my, in my notes here. And I was going to say something to my wife, and I thought, no, just leave it. She, I don't need to confess to her that I didn't take anything from what this man said. I got this on the scriptures. 
that when you look at that word Lord, you are taking the night of your soul and you are placing it by faith into the hands of the eternal God. And because God is good and God is great, he will make sure that our destiny is reached. That's the expansion of the soul. When you and I, my friends, can have confidence in God and call upon Him theologically, spiritually, He will say to us, underneath, there isn't anything above, there's nothing above God, but underneath, you can be harmed, and I will not let you be harmed. I think it was St. Paul who puts it this way, that even though the outward man perishes, the inward man is being renewed day by day by day. Lastly, not only do we have what I, what I call the anchor for the soul, but the assurance for the soul. It's interesting. Look at verse, the top of verse 2. In verse 1, out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord, all capital letters. Now look in verse 2. Lord, hear my voice. <laughs> but now it's in lowercase. What is he doing? When, when the lowercase is used in this sense, it is not, it is not con comparing God with anything else. He's seeing himself as now trusting in the one whom God has made visible for us to be able to trust him. I, I want, you, you can take it, you can read it for yourself. Psalm 110, verse 1. And this, this, this word is used in one sentence. Jehovah, the Lord, says to my Lord, Adonai, Jehovah, the ultimate reality, the only one who can, who can face ultimate reality is the Son of God. And this word, Adonai, is always speaking, well, I shouldn't say always, most of the time it's speaking, especially when it comes to the New Testament, of Christ incarnation, the Messiah, Christ. You'll read that in the New Testament. So that, so that when you cry to God, you make your... You, you make your your desire known to God. But the way in which we can be assured that God is responding to us is because of my favorite verse in Scripture found in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. God who spared not his own son, but gave him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So if God has given us his best and has given us the avenue, the mediator by which we can come, David said, I heard God infinite ultimate reality speaking to my Lord Adonai and this is exactly what he says he's asking that he might have an audience with God through God the Son the Messiah and I want to I want to close I want to close with these words this morning they're found in Romans chapter 8 I usually repeat these things but I want you to know that's in the Bible. I'm not making them up. In Romans chapter 8, I want to begin at verse 
32. Quoted that, I said it's my favorite verse. I have a lot of favorite verses, but that's one of them. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? All the promises of God comes to us through his son, Adonai, the expression of God. Who will bring a charge against God elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ is the one who died, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. Listen, who intercedes for us? The only one that can stand the ultimate beauty of God is the Son of God because he's of the same essence. But he was incarnated to come to us so that we might go to God through him. Now listen to this now. Verse 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ or the love of God? Some translations have. And then he will give the possibilities. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, perils, sword. For your sake, we're being put to death all day long, especially in the day in which we're living. We are classified as some kind of whatever. No matter what we say, we're home or something, phobia or something. We're considered sheep to be slaughtered, but in all these things, we are overwhelmingly conquering through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death or life, nor angels, principalities, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, he just said, out of, my, out of the depths of Christ, if, even from there, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ, the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. The dark night of the soul, my friends, is Hebrews chapter 12 says, is that through them, whether they are from out or in, God will use them so that he will chip away those things sanctifying our lives so that we share the character of God with him. That's the ultimate purpose of it. It is not that God is making fun or teasing or playing fast and loose with our lives. We are image bearers and sin has affected the image of God in us and for God to restore, he has to take us through the dark night of the soul, so that our faith and hope will be in God and God alone. That is where we find our rest. That is where God is glorified.